seriously, this is, he sent this to Randall kind of as like literally, I'm so frustrated, right? And so we find ourselves in this moment because at Christmas, this time of great mystery, celebration, this time of excitement, the time of joy, the time of beauty, right? The time of all these great stuff. We find ourselves like Victor having these great, this, these grays produced in our beards like I have or in our hair, whatever it may be. Or maybe some of you just losing the hair, right? I'm not going to name names, right? Kurt and McNiff. Anyway, so you had the whole dynamic going down, right? Right? And so you had this whole tension. Kurt's like, I'm going to beat you up right after the service. No, but you had this whole dynamic going down of Christmas. In fact, the other day I was talking to Anna, actually it was yesterday, Anna, Catherine, and Sarah and I were riding in the car somewhere and we were actually going out last night. Did y'all see the spotlight that was going on last night in Ackworth? It was the, that some church doing a nativity scene. So we were like last night, we, we kind of hopped in the car and we drove to find these lights, right? And so we're in the midst of driving to see the lights and, 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 and Anna Catherine goes, she said this. I thought it was so great. She's like, um, daddy, I've got a question. Now, if you ever spent time with Anna Catherine, she says that 10 times a day. Daddy or someone, I have a question, right? And so well, she'll, she goes, um, is it wrong that I get really excited receiving gifts at Christmas? And I said, yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Anna Catherine, she's my, she's my, she just turned 11 this week, right? My 11-year-old. And, and, I, and I looked at her and said, no, honey. And we had this, like, dialogue. I'm like, listen, no, no, it's beautiful. You know, Christmas, let's talk about Christmas. Christmas is God with us, right? It's God with me. It's a, you know, we talk about the nature of receiving gifts. And we, we, we enjoy receiving. There's something exciting about receiving that's beautiful and it's wonderful. But the nature of that receiving, right, is that, but I told her, but at the same time, that as we grow and as we mature, we recognize it's not just about receiving, but it's about also giving, specifically giving to those who are in need. We this beautiful conversation. And I said, so I want you to know, Anna Catherine, it is wonderful and it's beautiful for us to get excited about receiving gifts. And she's like, that's so good, Daddy. That's so good. I'm so, cause I felt so bad for getting excited. And, I, and she, but then she said, she said, but I also get, she said, but I understand what you're talking about because when I've given, even already, she and Aunt Sarah could not wait because they'd already bought gifts for one another, right? They couldn't wait. They already, they already passed their gifts out to each other, right? Because they were so excited because there was something wonderful about taking what they had received and, and giving it away, right? She used her own money, not money we had given, but her own money to, to buy them. This is something wonderful, exciting that happened. And so as we end this season, right, we live in the tension that, yes, it's a beautiful thing to receive. We talked about that last week. It's also a beautiful and a wonderful thing to give. And, the, and, the, and this, the, the picture and the words that I want you to have in mind when you're thinking about Christmas, both the holiday season, but also Christmas as a lifestyle, is that it is always beautiful to receive the blessings of our Father. Right? That, that Father desires to love us. He desires to, to bless us. He desires to pour Himself out into our lives, right? But the, the Genesis 12 mandate of humanity, the Genesis 12 mandate of the people of God, God is very clear. I've blessed you to be a blessing. I've blessed you to be a blessing. And so when we sit in churches, they talk about receiving your blessing, and there's usually a hoarding of that blessing of what you want for yourself because you want it selfishly, that the twisting of that, yes, God wants to bless us, but the maturity and the place of maturity is simply this, that he blesses us richly so that we become a rich blessing to others in need. 
And so that then kind of begins to, to, to name the reality of the holiday season and Christmas for us and Christmas throughout the year. If you've ever thought, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes I like to think about the stuff I never think about as it relates to Jesus. So just this morning, I'm not going to spend any time talking about it, so don't worry. But I was thinking this morning about the womb, Mary's womb and Jesus in the womb. Have you ever thought about the God living for nine, like Graham prayed this morning, like, and God, just thank you for nine months in, your mother, in, in Mary's womb. I'm like, nine months? The God of all creation living in, a, in Mary's womb for, for nine months. That's, that's crazy, right? I mean, that's just crazy. It's crazy to think about God and, God and, the, and Mary's womb. And so I'm going to think then about, well, what about Joseph? And, and so often we never really think about, the, about Christmas in the, in the lens of Joseph. But think about Joseph. One day he's sitting there with his wife who's not pregnant. Next day she comes and says, I'm pregnant. And like every good standing Jewish man of the day, he did with every single, he, he went above and beyond what most men would have done. And he says, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Every good Jewish man would have, would have said divorced his wife, separated from his wife in that moment, but he did it as a really good Jewish man and did it quietly to honor her, right? And so he just made this decision, and we pick up in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse, in verse 20, right? In this moment, the, the, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in just for a moment. I've impregnated Mary. Number verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Leave that up there. Can you imagine the tension that must be coursing through Joseph in the moment? All of a sudden, first, the world's come to an end because the woman I was going to marry has been impregnated by another man. Right? Right. It's been just it's the Holy Spirit doing it. Right? And then all of a sudden, he has an angel experience. How many of you have ever sat face to face with probably a 10 foot angel having a conversation and not in some high pitched voice? We're talking like one of those angelic James Earl Jones-esque type voices. Joseph, right? And you're like, oh, right? And you have one of those moments. You know what I'm talking about, right? All of a sudden, like you can at least, like none of you have already experienced that, right? But you can at least imagine it. And you're like, oh, right? All of a sudden, this angel standing there looking down, who's, you know, and kind and fearsome all at the same time. And you're like, oh, this has never happened to me before. Help, right? And then all of a sudden, he says, Yes, what Mary said is true. And probably G- Joseph is wanting to weep because all of his dreams that were crushed were now just made alive again. And then he says something the angel does that Joseph has no idea how to process. Name him Jesus because the call in his life is to save all people to save his people from their sins. And that was too big for Joseph to compute. Can you imagine? All peoples will be saved because of this son 
that's about to be born and that you are going to be responsible for. Can you imagine the emotions that are going on in the life of Joseph in this moment? I, I can't, and I guarantee you he couldn't either. He could, it was too much to get his head around. That's why I love it in Scripture. If you see it in the first, in probably the first four chapters of the gospel, you see it gospel, it says several times. It says, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. Do you remember that? Like there, again and again, something would be said about Jesus, or Jesus would do something, and it says, and Mary pondered those things in her heart. You ponder things you can't get your head around. All right? Like, oh, it's too much. I've got to think about that for a little bit. I'll get back to you. I've got to ponder that, and I'll get back to you. Joseph, in the moment, full range of emotions, right? He is like weeping. He is crying as he's laughing, as he's petrified. Because in the moment, something was spoken and stated about Jesus that humanity could not get their head around. That in the moment, this truth was spoken about Jesus. That he was going to save the world that is lost in its brokenness, lost in its sin, lost in its hopelessness, right? And in the moment, all of a sudden, we are given, we are given the calling and the purpose of Jesus' life, right? The vision that defines the direction of everything in his life is simple. He's been sent to save his people from their sins. Simply put, the title of what we're getting to this morning is he is called to love all. That's what this means. In the moment that Jesus is called to express love for all of humanity, all people, and all creation, he is called to save his people. He is called to love all. And this loving all it defines, it defines for us his calling. It defines the very purpose and reason why he was here. Hey, Janet, your son-in-law's right here. There you go. Hey. Called to love all. She was looking around like, where do I go? Where do I sit? Right? There's Kurt right there. I just called him bald a second ago, Janet. You missed it. So anyway, this whole beautiful thing going down of loving all. In the moment, we see his purpose. We see his calling. We see the vision. Listen, we see the vision that defines his life. Very clearly look at it. Vision is simple. Vision is what I'm looking at in the distance that that defines the direction that I'm going. Each of us in life have a vision. Jesus had a vision, right? Some of us don't have a vision. That's why we're going in circles like this, right? Listen, I've been in boats, in the fog, and all we do is go in circles. Why? Because I can't, with my vision, see the direction that I'm trying to go. And so Jesus has a very clear vision. His vision is to save the world from their sin. But here's the thing I want to have you be sober about this morning, to be excited about and cause you to cry and to be afraid. All at the same time, we said last week that Jesus 
is our model in life, isn't he? That he modeled for us. That's why we're called his disciples. We are followers of Jesus who are following him with the same vision that he had. So what I'm telling you is this. At Christmas, when we talk about the life of Jesus, what we're talking about is the model that each of us are adhering to ourselves. Therefore, I'm saying this morning that the, the vision of Jesus, the people he valued, the direction that he went, and the love that he was expressing, to all the world is ours. It's ours. The vision that defined the life of Jesus, the things that he valued, the direction that he went, because he was our model showing us what a human life should look like for the followers of Jesus is now the model that we adhere to ourselves. So therefore, his vision is our vision. His values are our values. The people and things he loved, we too must love. Jesus is our model. That's the story. It's Christmas. And so when we begin to look at this reality then for us, we begin to see the, the, a very succinct description of what is life Look like in Philippians chapter 2. Here your Bibles, you can turn there. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through it. I want you to see this first verse that we usually skip over. It says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Pause. Do you see what Paul says? Hey, Jesus is your model. Have the same mindset. A mindset is what, I, is what my mind focuses on. My mind is set on something specific. I'm set on my vision, what I value, and my direction. I've got my eyes set. I'm going this direction. I want you to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. What did he model for us in his mindset? Well, simply this. Jesus, who being, very verse 6, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or to grow something that he could grasp. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he willfully, by choice, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Scripture says that for the joy set before him. This is not a message of 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 um of doom. For Jesus, it's the message of joy. So often we think about modeling the life of Jesus, we're like, oh death to self. Oh, this is so hard. Oh, sacrifice, right? It's like we're having to give birth to a baby every day or something, right? Women, you say, that's not easy, right? But the reality is, no, the, the angels came and said, no, this is good news of great joy for all of the earth, right? But the joy set before him, Jesus left heaven to come to earth to sacrifice his life. There is a joy in the message. Do we see that? This morning I prayed God awaken us to the joy of sacrifice, right? Because the one word that we see in verse 7 that really, that really describes for us Christmas for Jesus, it's the word servant, isn't it? All the things we see here, right? It's the nature of servant, made himself nothing, take the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, found in appearance of men, he humbled himself, right? By becoming obedient to death. We all understand, at least in theory, 
what it means to be a servant. A servant is never demanding. A servant is never self-focused. He or she is focused primarily on the needs of someone else other than her or himself, right? Servanthood defines the model Jesus exhibited in loving all. We understand in theory, at least, right, what a servant does. They're aware of others. They are moving actively on the behalf of the needs of others. Like, listen, listen, when I'm around someone who's a very good servant, I pick up my glass. I, I go to pick up my glasses. Someone else picks it up and fills it with the drink that I need. Because they're so aware of me being taken care of. You know what I'm talking about? The, you go, like, you always look for that specific person at the restaurant to wait on you because they serve well. I mean, wives, don't you, like, when your husband's actually doing well and he's serving you by loving you, don't you feel more connected to him and more excited to be around him and not quite as frustrated? I know Randall does every day, right? No, this whole thing going down, Randall's my wife, in case you're wondering, right? So this whole dynamic going down of this nature of servant Hood, Jesus left. And again, think about it. He, he, he considered why he did it. Like literally, when I say considered, he sat down and processed this reality. I want to, want to read it because I want you to think about this. Jesus left all, right? Jesus left all because he loved all so he could set all free. Do you see the simplicity of that? Jesus left all. I mean, listen, I sat in a Catholic the other day and Sarah were talking like, what, describe heaven. And I said, imagine the moment, this is the best I could do at the moment, right? Imagine the moment of greatest happiness, the greatest laughter, the greatest joy, the moment you felt most fulfilled in life, the most at peace, the most at rest, the place of life when you just laughed the hardest and were most excited, put them all in one big ball together, multiply it by trillions upon trillions upon trillions, and boom, there's just the foretaste of a little bit of what heaven's going to be like. Jesus left that to to because he loved all. For joy set before him, he left all. So he could set all free. I would encourage you this week to meditate on that statement. Jesus left all because he loved all, so he could save all. Jesus left all. What I just named, because he loved all, I don't know about you, but there's some people throughout history that were unlovable in my opinion. This guy, starting right here, so that he could save me. He could save you. He could save all. Jesus is our model, this beautiful peace. And what I want you to recognize, and this is, again, I'm just kind of going theological with you this morning a little bit because I want you to begin to see some of these things in practical on how to apply to your life. But if you want to help someone, the people, like, let's say, so let's say you're going to the mission field, right? Listen, I've spent a lot of time in doing short-term missions. I know a lot of missionaries, right? The first thing a missionary does when they're going to another country is they highlight the people they want to invest their life into. And good missionaries, they will 
leave all of their stuff behind so they can go spend time with these people in the world in which they're living, leaving all of their stuff behind that would keep them from effectively ministering and being in relationship with them. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like if I'm going to minister to someone, the last thing who's in poverty, the last thing I want to do is go build a big mansion and come and go from my mansion thinking that I can minister to them. Because all I'm doing is putting up a literal wall between us and them. That's not effective. So Jesus said, all right, I'm going to highlight the, listen, this is huge. This needs to shape the Christmas story for you for the rest of your life. Jesus in heaven with Father and Holy Spirit, Trinity and Trinity is one saying, hey, who are the primary people I'm going to be a missionary to? Quote unquote, right? Who are the primary people I'm going to? Well, I need to figure out who those are, and I need to identify with them, leave all behind, and live their life that they're living so that they'll be able to receive my message so there's no massive wall between us and them. Do you get the picture? Jesus looking down from heaven saying, who are the people, that I, who do, who are the people I need to give myself to? Because that's how I'm going to be born. Do you see that? I'm going to leave this place, identify myself, have solidarity with them, and live the life that they're living. And so Jesus was born poor. He was born into a place of financial and socioeconomic brokenness. He was born as a human being in this sin-riddled humanity in which we live. Jesus, by the way that he was born, identified with those that he was coming to earth to be a blessing to. He was born into the life of those that he wanted to help, those living in poverty, those living in brokenness, and those living in hardship. In fact, I'm not going to read it, but if you go back and read uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, there's this whole beautiful line, the, the whole Linus story of Christmas, right? That's how I know it, right? But then you skip down a little bit afterwards, and Jesus is now at the age of being consecrated. So they go into the temple, and verse 24, it tells us, it says they offered a sacrifice in keeping with the law. Then I put dot, 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 right? They offered a sacrifice. Let's listen to me. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with the law. Read it for yourself. A sacrifice of a pair of doves or young pigeons. And we should all go, huh? Because all of us know that what you sacrifice is a lamb. That's what you sacrifice. We come and bring a lamb before God, right? But Levitical law, the Torah, Moses said, unless you were poor. And if you are poor, then I permit you to bring a pair of doves or young pigeons. And so we see in Scripture that Mary and Joseph, in consecrating Jesus, right, bringing him to the Father and handing Jesus back to the Father, says, we're too poor to bring a lamb. What we're bringing in our poverty is, is a pair of doves or a couple of young pigeons. And they made their sacrifice before the Lord. We see in this very clear, this verse we always skip over, that in the moment, Jesus is revealed as living a life among those who were poor, who were broken, and who were needy. He could have been born any way he pleased. Today, if he had been born, right, he would, like, it would not have been at Kennestone Hospital with the best doctors, right? 
He would have been born in the back alley of a street of Atlanta underneath a, a tent made of tarps with the with the with those with the with the homeless alongside worshiping him because that's who the angels would have come to. In fact, we see, we always celebrate, oh, swaddling clothes, and we do a thing. We usually go buy some really nice blanket that's so soft and cuddly, right? And we, or, and, and so, but, but, but theologians say that they didn't have that. So probably what they did is they, Mary and Joseph probably took their undergarments and ripped their undergarments and wrapped Jesus in it. Why? Because they were too poor to have something other than their own undergarments to wrap Jesus in his swaddling clothes. We see Jesus, right? We said last week, who did the angels come and sing this hallelujah anthem to? Upon a, the lowest caste, right? This lowest socioeconomic group in the Jews, the shepherds. Nobody liked them. They were known in that day and age as common petty thieves. And then to a bunch of magi, right? A bunch of astrologers who were pagans living in a distant land. Those are the people that Jesus revealed himself to. Why? Because those are the broken, the distant, the disconnected, and those living in poverty and brokenness. Jesus came to love all. He identified with those who were disconnected, disenfranchised, and overwhelmingly disconnected from the community of faith. And he comes and expresses the story of God with you. Jesus was the model. Do you see that? The model of Jesus loving all. And you think loving all and usually apply your, you and your extended family and your friends. And that's kind of the, the mindset that you have, or at least a lot of us have. Or even be your church family. But Jesus is looking and saying, no, I'm connecting myself to the ones that I intend to set free, those living in poverty and brokenness, the poor, the overwhelmed, all of these disenfranchised, disconnected and forgotten. I identify with and have solidarity with the ones that I'm trying to reach. And I'm modeling it for all of you. I've been called to love all. And I'm showing you what it looks like. Will you follow me? Will you embrace the model that I'm showing to you? I love the, 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 the picture in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's very clear from Paul. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, remember, he had all, he became poor, left all, so that you through his poverty, his life of poverty, living in poverty, might become rich. Don't twist that like some people do to mean God's desire is to make you monetarily wealthy. There is nothing, listen, if you're wealthy, listen, wealth is something eternal in nature and money dies with you. So eternal wealth is about the blessings of eternal life. And what comes with those who are walking and living alongside of Jesus for eternity. Therefore, it can't mean money, although it might mean that for a season, right? He may bless you. Why? So you can give it all away, a blessing to be a blessing, right? But the idea is he's become poor so that you may be spiritually wealthy, 
having the blessings of all that comes with eternal life with the God of all creation. And so we see the beauty of what he's doing. So in this, yes, we can recognize the poor, but we can, can't, we can put ourselves in a place of spiritual poverty, right? There's a level of identity and solidarity with the poor because we recognize our own brokenness, our own sin, and our own need of a Savior. I love this, the story in Matthew 25. We see Jesus clearly paint a picture of himself of having identification and solidarity with the poor. It says this, Matthew 25, starting in verse 35. It says, Jesus speaking, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And all of the, and all his followers of Jesus go, what are you talking about? He says, and the righteous answer, like, when do we see this? When do we see this be the case about you, hungry and thirsty and naked? When do we see that? He said in verse 40, the king replied, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. First and foremost, do you see who Jesus is with? Jesus is with the hungry. He's with the thirsty. He's with the naked. He's with those in prison, Do you see that by nature he's identifying himself with them in such, listen, you got to hear this, he's identifying himself with them in such close proximity that they thought he was poor and naked and hurting alongside of them. Do you see that? Do you see the nature of identity and solidarity with the broken, with the hurting, and with the poor? Do you see that there was, he did not come in and out of his, of his mansion to go help the poor. He lived among them. He gave his life for them. There was such identity and such solidarity that they could not distinguish between Jesus and the poor. Listen, if you want to find Jesus, he will be found among the poor, the broken, the spiritually impoverished, and the needy. If you want to find him, then you give yourself to those people. Mother Teresa says it very clearly. I said it before and I will say it again. She said, when asked, how did you receive your call to work with the poor? She responded, I was not called to work with the poor. None of us are called to work with the poor. I was called to follow Jesus and I followed him to the poor. Remember, give him the name Jesus because he will have solidarity and identity with the poor and the broken and the impoverished, and he will save them from themselves, and he will save them from their brokenness, and he will save them from their sins. And Joseph said, that's too much for me. Is it too much for us? In our lives, all of us invest ourselves into the things that we believe have the greatest value, don't we? The things that have greatest value and have the greatest return on our investment, we invest into. So we do that at work. We do that in relationships, right? We do that uh, with all that we do in life, right? We, we invest ourselves with the, with the things that we value us, with power, with influence, productivity, things that are going to produce the greatest return on the bottom line. As so we find ourselves investing on ourselves 
and to the things that have greatest value, they'll have the greatest return on our investment, right? So isn't it interesting that again and again and again and again and again, the people we find Jesus investing into are the poor and the broken and the hurting because they have the greatest value and the greatest return on his investment. Do you see that? Jesus is called to love all as a lifestyle. Sacrificially giving, solidarity and identity with the broken, the hurting, and the poor, right? He placed primary value on them. Therefore, that's where he gave his greatest investment with an expectation of his greatest return. So three things for us this morning to ponder and think about. Number one is our vision, his vision. Each of you need to take time and be honest with yourself about where your eyes are focused. All of us have our primary eyes focused on something. They're focused on something. There's some direction that each of us are going. Each of us are going some direction. Primary vision that we're focused on in life. What is it? What is your life vision? Jesus listen, Jesus modeled for us and expressed very clearly what the guard listen, what the guardrails are for each of our callings in life. He said, What's the greatest commandment? He said, Well, there's two. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the guardrail for each of your vision, for all of your vision in life. This is the primary call. This is the guardrail. This is what you give your life to. The vision you get at, this vision right here is always defined by loving God and by loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So how is your your vision defined by the call of God? How is everything you do and move towards affected by God's guardrails expressed at Christmas? The life he modeled. Second thing, what do you value? What do you value? What's, where are your primary values, right? What you do, what you do, what you, like what you give yourself to is ultimately what you value. What you find your energy is, like you, the things you, you invest into are the things in which you place your value, right? And what you value will define what direction you go in life. So in Jesus, we see that he, he values God and he values people. He values loving all, right? So he came and he gave his life for the joy set before him and set them free from their sin and their brokenness, right? And so our call is similar. Our primary value in life is loving God and loving our neighbor. So we give ourselves those, to those things. This nature of, of, of gift giving and, and blessing others and giving our life away. We must love all. And it's going to cost us something. Just like it was modeled by Jesus. It's going, to, it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us energy. Right? But let me tell you, for the joy set before him, the great, listen, the greatest, hear this, the story of Christmas is that the greatest joy found in life is by bringing joy to the broken, to the needy, and to the hurting, and those in life who are in desperate need, as modeled by Jesus. He finds his greatest value in doing this, right? And, and the idea is we're called into love all. That's overwhelming. So what I'm going to tell you is this. You need to love all, but not do it by trying to love all. You know what I mean? Like if I, try, if I said right now, go love all of Atlanta. You're like, oh, there's 
hundreds of thousands of people. And I would say love all by starting with one, right? And then trust that others will be loving others so that the church as a whole is now loving all, right? Mother Teresa says it well again. If I look at the masses, I won't act. If I look at one, I will. Isn't that beautiful? If I look the masses, I won't act. If I looked at one, I will. And so the place that we start, now hear me, hear me say this. Maybe you're really practical. How do you start by doing this? By looking people in the eye when they talk to you. I mean, literally. Listen, Randall had this debate back and forth. There's, and we had this conversation with staff, and Timothy was right. There is no such thing as multitasking in the world. Because if you were multitasking, you automatically have your affections and your thoughts divided. And so you can't fully listen to someone if part of you is tasking somewhere else. Why? Because part of you is given to that thing. And the only way you can fully give yourself to someone in listening and loving them and giving your life away to them is by fully investing your energies 100% into them without being distracted by something you need to accomplish or get done. It's not about you. It's about them. So start when in the middle of your job and someone's talking to you, fully embrace that person. At the cost and the sacrifice. The picture I got, this is going to sound sacrilegious, was in Jerry Maguire. Remember the movie Jerry Maguire? And he's officially lost his job. You've never seen the movie. There's this, he loses his job as a sports marketing agent. And, and he calls this one player, right? This one player, Cuba, whatever his name is, right? And they're talking on the phone. And his, law, his big phone is lighting up like a Christmas tree of all these other players he represents. But he stays focused on this one guy at the risk of losing all of these others. And that's what it means to love all. I'm fully engaged and focused on someone. The third thing, so vision, what do you have your vision focused on, your values, what do you do with your time, and then solidarity. Jesus' birth, number three, Jesus' birth models a solidarity, a union, and identification with those who are broken. How are we identifying ourselves, living in this close proximity with the broken, with the hurting, those in poverty, those who are lost, those who are overwhelmed, and those who have no life? How are you modeling the life of Jesus with solidarity, identification, and union with them? Not living like they live, right, in sin, but living among them with the best of yourselves, with no barrier between you and them. You see what I'm getting at? And you're going to have to process this stuff because there are people right now, there is one that God is calling you to model Christmas for. With solidarity in union. Remember, 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, place yourself in the seat of Jesus, right? Jesus modeled for us. So, so for you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake you became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. How is someone in poverty becoming rich because of your solidarity with them? How are you loving all? We said, worship fully, spend less on yourself, give more to those that are in need. By loving all is a model of Jesus, right? And so to end our time this morning, we're not here to tell, listen, we're not here as followers of Jesus just to tell the Christmas story. We're here to live it, to show it, to express it, 
with actions. Never pretend to be a Christian around someone unless you're willing to model the life of Jesus for them with solidarity, with union, for the broken, for the hurting, for the lost, by giving the best of yourself fully to them and loving all of, loving them all, right? Loving all of them in the midst of that place, right? By acting and living life, what? As a servant to them, thinking more about their needs and less about your own. Doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself, right? But in taking care of self, you're doing that to prepare yourself to be a blessing to others. This is Christmas. Christmas changed the world. And if it changed the world, could it not then, Christmas in us, change the world again? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us. And Father, we celebrate the reality of Christmas this year of God with us. But Lord, the call is not this then God with us for the purpose of us. God, it's God with the world who's in need. And so, Father, this morning I pray. I pray for an openness and awakening. I pray for clarity for all of us, Jesus, of what it means to live in union, primarily with you, and in solidarity and identification with those whom you are already loving. Lord, I pray this message, God, which seemingly is difficult and overwhelming, God, would you, would you set joy? God, this is the message of joy at Christmas. God, you leaving all because you loved all so that you could save all. God, may that become the message of our own lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.